Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's that mean? How do we do it? Show us now. Hide me, hide us all behind the Jesus we've come to worship. In his name we pray. Amen. The saddest story I ever heard, I heard on the radio. I was going home one evening from Pioneer for supper. I'm listening to WBBM News Radio out of Chicago. And I had to pull off the road. My eyes were so out of focus with tears. West Monroe, Louisiana. A father and mother were going out for a Saturday night, and they took their 14-year-old little girl over to her girlfriend's place to spend the night. But as young daughters can do, the girls changed their mind, and they said, and uh, Kay said to her friend, let's go, over, let's, let's go to our house, and we'll, we'll spend the rest of the night in our house. One o'clock in the morning, mom and dad come back from Saturday, Saturday night on the town, and Kay says, let's, let's surprise them. So they jump into a closet. Father walks in. Just as he steps in. The door flies open to that closet. Boo! The father instinctively grabs a gun and shoots his daughter through the neck. Her last words to him, Daddy, I love you. I just sat there at the side of the road. I have a little girl. She's still my little girl. And I cannot imagine how a father would feel killing his little girl. We've got an obscure text here. We're going to look at it right now. It has this story and Jesus' love written all over it. And you've got to see it. So open your Bible. Hope you can find the book, Zechariah. It's the next to the last book in, in the Old Testament. If you get to Malachi, just one more book. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. God speaking. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. I was in this church yesterday afternoon as we said goodbye to a firstborn son, too young to die, just under 40 years of age. Sad. I can't imagine that father on the front row of his daughter's funeral. I mean, what is going through his mind? But that's what we just read. See this line? They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They killed him. They killed him. It's as plain as a nose on your face. It's interesting, that line... The one they have pierced, they'll look on me. 
is tucked away in the New Testament. Friday afternoon, late. The man on the center cross has just expired with that triumphant cry, it is finished. They're making sure the prisoners will die quickly. They break the legs of one of the thieves. They break the legs of the other so that they can't push against their legs and they will die of suffocation. They come to the man on the middle cross. Let's pick it up right here in John chapter 19. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony. That's John Boy. And his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. We just read it, didn't we? They will look on the one they have pierced. Zechariah 12, John 19, telling the same Calvary truth. And what is that Calvary truth? We killed him. I'm going to put it in big letters so it sticks in your mind. We killed him. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. We killed him. I know what you're thinking. Man, come on, Dwight. How, and I, how, how could I possibly feel guilty for, for something I obviously, let alone repentant, for something I obviously did not do? Terrible death. I agree. Two millennia ago, you got it. But I mean, please, I understand the point you're trying to make. But let's be real. I didn't kill him. Really, I didn't. And that's the nearly overmastering challenge God has with me. How am I going to help Dwight? Understand the immensity of the cost of just his sins alone. Just one of his sins. Never mind the sins of the world. Let's say I go over to your house for dinner or lunch. I'd love to. And you're in the kitchen throwing lunch together. And I'm out there. Let's say your house has a fireplace. And you know above the fireplace is that mantle. And you got all your little keepsakes there. And clumsy me, I pick up a beautiful vase. And I'm turning it in my hand when I drop it. It falls to the bricks below. And I am so embarrassed. I am down there. I, I have to get these shards picked up before you come out of the kitchen. And I'm picking them up as fast as I can. Suddenly, you're racing out of the kitchen. And I look up at you. And I'm mumbling. I'm so sorry. I, I, the clumsy me. Listen, don't worry about it. I'll get you another one. I think I've seen one in Walmart. And I'll get it for you. And you look back at me with your, with your blanched face. Your lips are moving, but nothing is coming out. And finally, when your voice whispers, you tell me that was an heirloom from my great-grandmother. There's only one other one in the world, and it is valued at $167,000. You know, I kind of felt sorry a moment ago, but I've got astronomical repentance going on right now. Why? Because I just realized 
the cost of what my clumsiness has done. When I know the cost, then I feel the pain. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn. See, that's why God had to pour his spirit out. Because until his spirit works on this heart, I'm telling you, I'm just not going to get it. I'm not going to realize the immensity of the cost. My sins killed him. Your sins, our sins. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, what, what sins are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about, I'm talking about your darling sin, and I'm talking about my besetting sin. You know, the one that we have, we even have a hard time wanting to let go of it. Manana. I'll get to it someday. Someday, that's gone. Promise. It'll be gone. And for those of us who are sitting here right now and saying, yo, I appreciate this talk about uh, great sins, but I'm going to be honest with you, I cannot think of one big sin in my life right now. And I can think of one big sin in your life right now, dishonesty. (laughs) No, come on. I'm, I'm being serious. Because, look, if you aren't able to admit that you have the sin that killed him. You're doing a number on yourself. You are fooling yourself, sir. I'm telling you. The one sin, the one addiction, the one pet that I just don't want to let go yet, that's the one. I debated whether to put these words on the screen or not. And I went back and forth in my own mind. And then I just got the conviction. Now I'll put them up. Let me share them with you. A hundred years ago, God's law reaches the feelings and motives as well as the outward acts. It reveals the secrets of the heart, flashing light upon things before buried in darkness. God knows every thought every purpose, every plan, every motive. And then here's the line. The books of heaven record the sins that would have been committed had there been opportunity. And I said to myself, seriously, I said to myself this week, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. And then just like that, the Sermon on the Mount, the red-letter words of Jesus. If a man looks on a woman with lustful eyes, he has broken already the seventh commandment. True or false? It's true. The sin that I would commit were I given the opportunity, but I don't. 
The books of heaven record the sins that would have been committed had there been that opportunity. Wow. I'm telling you, it's the gospel truth. We killed him. Your sin and mine. The words of Horatio Bonar, 19th century Scottish hymn writer. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Desire of ages doesn't pull any punches. Upon all, upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. I'm telling you, we killed him. I did. You did. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Because that's the truth of Calvary. But I'm grateful for that word, look. They will look on me. Reminds me of a camel-haired, bushy-bearded prophet of the wilderness, John the Baptist, standing by the muddy Jordan, and he spots a stranger in the crowd, and he points his finger and says, yo, everybody, look, 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 look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You've got to put that up. Look, look, the Lamb of God. And by the way, aren't you glad that it says he takes away the sin of the world? You got a sin in your life right now, like I do, that you wish he would take away? Of course, he'll need my permission, and he'll need your permission. But isn't that wonderful? He'll take it away. We don't have to keep it. We can let it go. You sure it works that easy, Dwight? Yep, I'm sure. One more time, desire of ages. Jesus knows the circumstances of every soul. He knows your story. Backwards and forwards, he knows mine. You may say, I am sinful, very sinful. You may be, but the worse you are, the more you need Jesus. He turns no weeping contrite one away. He does not tell to any all that he might reveal. Dwight, I got a book about you. I'm not going to tell it all to you. It'll crush you. It'll destroy you. I'm not going to tell you all I know. He turns no weeping contrite one away. He does not tell to any all that he might reveal. But he bids every trembling soul take courage. Oh, I love that. Take courage. Freely will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. Freely will he pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what my addiction may be. It doesn't matter how sinful you may be. Mm. Freely, he will pardon all who come to him for forgiveness and restoration. But he does even more. Oh, we can't, we can't go out of here without getting the verse right after. Uh, Zechariah 12, verse 10. Here's the next verse. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, 
A fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. For these last few sermons, we've been kind of working around the theme, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And we put our signatures up there a few weeks ago. On that day, how's that go? Let's, let's, let's cut out those extraneous uh, phrases there. On that day, a fountain will be opened to cleanse us from sin and impurity. Doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've done it. Doesn't matter at all. On that day, when we look on that day, He would open up a fountain to cleanse us from sin and impurity. It's the good news of the gospel woven through the entire scriptures. Isaiah 1, 18, come now, let us settle the matter. The old King James reads, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as what? They shall be as what? White as snow. Though they are what? Like crimson. They shall be like what? Like wool. Can you believe that? The sins I have, the sins you've got. Wow, keep reading. I love this from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us therefore draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Can it get any better than that? Guilty conscience, gone. Pure water all over my body. And I'm clean now. How do you do that, God? Keep reading, Dwight. Okay. 1 John 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son. What's that word? Purifies us from how much sin? All sin. Two verses later, if we confess our sins, any of them, all of them at the same time, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what's that word? He will purify us. He will purify us from all ugliness and dirtiness and filthiness and impurity. It's gone. We got washed. Pure water, too. Man. Ah, no wonder on that day a fountain will be opened to cleanse us from sin and impurity. All we have to do, you and I, is go to that fountain. And guess what? We are at that fountain right now. Oh, I got to tell you about him. The English poet and hymn writer, William Cooper, it's spelled Cowper, but he went by Cooper, gave to the Christian church some of her most beloved hymns. But it comes as a shock for many people to learn that he composed his hymns while suffering mental health crises that plagued him on and off all his life. They say Gen Zers are particularly sensitive to mental health issues. Here's one Gen Zer for you. Amazing. He was a friend of John Newton. You know John Newton? The amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That John Newton? Newton was an, older, was, a, was an older pastor, but he befriended the young William Cooper. And it was Newton who nursed Cooper through some of his most severe mental health crises. He, he attempted suicide again and again and again. Three times he was placed in what they called back then the, the insane asylum. 
but in the breaks of sanity and lucidity and clarity, he keeps picking up his pen and scribbling gospel hymns of good news. We got three of them in our hymnal. This one I, is there, and it's a great poem. It's called one of his greatest. Majestic hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. We've never sung it. We may have to sing that sometime, Mr. Minister of Music. That's a powerful one. Oh, and he's a composer of that beautiful prayer hymn, also in our hymnal. And you, you might remember these words, Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light to shine upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. But hands down, the most famous hymn composed by William Cooper goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins And sinners plunged beneath that flood Lose all their guilty stains Bathing in the Red River, that's it Sinners plunged beneath that flood there is a fountain that's been opened. And we're standing on that fountain right now. We're here. Oh, we got to sing that song. Mr. Minister of Music, come on. I picked out three. There's six stanzas. We're going to sing just three. I want you to stand to your feet because you sing better when you're standing. And I want, I want to sing the stanza we just did, but it has this beautiful going on where our voices just go higher and higher, and I just love it. Sing your heart out. Sing it as if it were the good news that you've been dying to learn, and we just learned it today. 